0: Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to. Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and I hope you're craving some 90s throwbacks today because boy howdy are you in for some. For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is a dear friend of the podcast, and I recently had the pleasure of being in the wedding party for her and another Villainology alumnus, Justin Mousseau. She has a kick-ass Etsy shop and is the queen of discovering haunted doll watches. Mrs. Casey Cotter-Mousseau. Welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: It's been a long time coming. I know I know. for when we first started talking about this podcast, you had said you wanted to come on and, and, and talk about who you're going to talk about. And I was like, okay, yeah, we're definitely going to get you on. And now finally I'm like, yes, we we've, we've got you.
1: It's about time, Rob. It's about <laughs> damn time.
0: <laughs> so tell us a bit about your Etsy shop.
1: So my Etsy shop is Monster Tree Productions. I make all sorts of things from keychains to trays and they're mostly resin based and I do a lot of things that are just inspired by things that I love including the lovely villain I'm talking about today. I made a whole collection of things around that. I just I love to make things and I decided why not let everybody else enjoy some things including it's like true. dice boxes like the one I made for you.
0: So it's fine. I, yes, I have this beautiful. So we, so we did a pulp Cthulhu campaign, which is a spinoff of the call of Cthulhu RPG. So we spent most of quarantine playing this. And I remember complaining that I didn't have a dice box. I was rolling just terrible bean footage on my desk and it was, my dice was always falling off of it. And uh, I just complained. I was like, I need a dice box. I need a dice box. And then one day in the mail, I get this wooden box with this awesome Cthulhu painted everything on there with the main scroll of what you would see on the H.P. Lovecraft called Cthulhu story. It was all in there, and it was like, I was like, what the hell is this? And she's like, yeah, I decided to make it for you. I figured, uh, why not? And I'm like, God damn it, it's so good. I've used it in every campaign (laughs) since then.
1: (laughs) As long as it brings you good roles, that's all I care about. You know what? It
0: it honestly has. I think it's up my game exponentially. What do you look for in a good villain?
1: I think I look for a villain that I can find an interesting backstory with. Because part of the reason I've always had a hard time liking certain movies is because heroes are so one note in a lot of cases. And villains have so much more to go into. And I always love a villain that just wants to be famous. They have... No other motive, but I want the attention, and I think that's absolutely incredible.
0: I think that's a great segue into uh, who we're going to be discussing today, so I'll ask the question that I always ask all my guests. Tell us, Casey Cotter-Mousseau, which villain have you chosen?
1: I have chosen... Uh, just an incredible villain, a wonderful killer, someone who I terrorized me as a child and brought my love of Matthew Lillard to the foreface. I've chosen Ghostface. What's the matter, Sydney? You look like you've seen
0: a ghost. (laughs) Why are you doing this? It's all part of the game, Sydney. It's called Guess How I'm Gonna Die! Fuck you! No, no, no,
1: no, no. We already played that game, remember? You lost. It's
0: a fun game, Sydney. See, we ask you a question, and if you get it wrong,
1: you die. you get it right, you die.
0: You're crazy, both of you.
1: You actually <laughs> prefer the term psychotic. We'll
0: never get away with this.
1: Oh well, no. Tell that to Cotton Weary. You wouldn't believe how easy he was to frame. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. It was fun. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> why? Why did you kill my mother? Why? Why? You hear that, Stu? I think she wants a motive. <laughs> hmm. I don't really believe in motive, Sid. I mean, did Norman Bates have a motive? No. Did they ever really decide why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people? Don't think so. You see, it's a lot scarier when there's no motive, Sid.
0: Okay, so... You mentioned Matthew Lillard, which was obviously one of the many iterations of Ghostface. Well, First off, why Ghostface?
1: So, let me tell you about my first experience with the film Scream. I was, I would say maybe like nine years old, and a friend of mine had had me over to stay at her house, and we watched the first Scream movie, which is a mistake for someone that young. Um, (laughs) And... (laughs) The first scene in the... Oh, sorry. Spoilers, if you haven't seen the original 1996 Scream, just, you know, (laughs) FYI. In the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie, Drew Barrymore is killed. Well, Drew Barrymore's character is named Casey, and she has blonde hair and brown eyes. So me, as a nine-year-old, went, oh, great, so I'm the first to die in every film from now on.
0: Yeah, that tracks.
1: (laughs) You know, so... And that was like kind of my first experience of just absolute terror, and I remember watching the, like shock on Drew Barrymore's face and like watching this girl. And I revisited scream when I got a little bit older into high school. And I just, I'm obsessed with the whole reason it starts is that yeah, skeet ultra wants attention, but Matthew Lillard. So Stu, when he says he was basically pressured into being a killer, it's like, how is that a motive? But I love it. (laughs) I'm obsessed with it because it just progressively with every film of the franchise, Their motives get weirder and weirder and weirder, but they all fucking work and it's incredible.
0: Yeah, like you said, the mantle is passed from killer to killer and most of the time they don't know each other. It just happens to be where there are a couple people here and then later on a completely different person has it that has nothing to do with the previous story in some capacity. And they each have their own motivations and goals. Can you outline for us the progression of each subsequent Ghostface face iteration
1: absolutely i can i would love to <laughs> so the first the first movie is Stu and billy billy is sydney's boyfriend who in the film we know he's a suspect from like the first couple moments and they try and red herring you the whole time which is incredible sidetrack sorry so they have billy and Stu. billy is going after sydney because sydney's mom caused his parents to get a divorce and that's why he wants to do it Stu is literally involved because it's peer pressure that's all he says which i love and will always love um the second (laughs) movie gets a little weirder it's someone who is in sydney's circle of friends in college who goes after her and he does it because he wants to be famous and that movie came out around the time of like if like post-OJ Simpson, so they really kind of like targeted that way with it. And then Scream 3 is it's all over the place. <laughs> There's like three different motives and three different ghost faces, and it's um it's a lot, but it's basically it's Sydney's half-brother comes after her, and then Billy's mom comes after her. <laughs> Because she's trying to get back that Billy's dead, and then the fourth one—like we don't really have to talk about the fourth scream. It's, um, <laughs> it's there, but like, um, <laughs> it's,
0: it's like, like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for for this you know what franchise. it happened,
1: it happened, and it was there, and yep. Yeah, we don't we just we just don't talk about that one. It's fine. That's okay.
0: <laughs> Which iteration do you find to be the most compelling?
1: I think the first scream is definitely. The most compelling with Ghostface because it was so meta when it came out to kill off your a star like Drew Barrymore who's used in all the advertising so quickly was a shock to everybody and then setting them up throughout the movie of you really didn't know and that's the other thing is like in the first scream Ghostface is just referred to as the voice the mm-hmm. only time he's called Ghostface is when. Rose McGowan's character is like, please, Mr. Ghostface, I want to be in the sequel. That's the only time you hear his name. Other than that, he's just a voice on the phone. And I think that that's wild that this villain and character was able to succeed so long without really having a name. Right. But I just think that Billy and Stu and the way that they go about it and how creepy they are and Stu is just like he just wants to be friends with Billy and Billy is just this like total asshole and you hate him so much the whole time. And you're like, Sydney, why the fuck are you dating this guy? He's such a dick. But she keeps like in every every turn, it's like this he's gotta be the killer. And then they find a way to be like, oh no, he's not. Oh he's dead. Oh he's not dead. Like what the fuck? <laughs> but I just think he I think that the two of them are the best Iteration of Ghostface. I think I liked Scream three with her half brother getting involved, and I thought that that was a interesting turnaround of things. But I think nothing can beat Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich performing like the most incredible villain. Uh, oh, he's just whole, of all the horror movie villains. That
0: whole final scene between them, the, the chemistry they had between them was just the most terrifying thing because you could just see how unhinged the two of them
1: were they're just wild
0: Yo, yeah but and especially the idea that matthew lillard's character like you ha- have said was in it for the peer pressure there's that that lack of motivation with him that this was simply him trying to fit in but still you watch him and there is that maniac level of just yeah we're doing this right yeah this 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 is it right like this is good right and you're just like Dude, you're like a yes man to the nth degree.
1: Too much of a yes man. But I think that's what makes Ghostface such an interesting killer among like horror movie villains. Because when you think about like if you're looking at, you know, like the horror movie posters, it's always like Michael Myers and freddy and leatherface and like a few others and there and ghostface is always in there but when you think about it it's like he's not someone with supernatural powers he's not a villain that has some sort of like very you know he he didn't drown in a lake when camp counselors weren't paying attention to him it was this whole thing it's literally just these people who have cracked And they've gone nuts and it's either they want fame, they want revenge. And I think that's what makes Ghostface such an interesting villain is because the motive of Ghostface constantly changes. There's never one motive, like in every movie, it wraps itself into something that's, yeah, they're all kind of connected in the storyline by Scream 4. It's like they bring it back around of, oh, this, you know, technically the mantle of Ghostface has always been connected, but it really isn't because everyone is so distinct in their own motives. Out of all the horror movie villains that you see as like a classic horror movie villain to have one that is like, I saw a lot of people talk about how, you know, Oh, well, Jigsaw is like a norm he's like a normal villain. It's like, he's not, he is behind, he's hiding behind a puppet. The whole thing about Ghostface it's just a maniac with a knife. And that's what makes him so scary.
0: Well, what do you think Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson who wrote it? What do you think they were trying to say with this character?
1: I think a lot of it is just the reminder that, Everyday people are just as scary as these things you see in your nightmares. They're just as powerful as Freddy. They're just as strong as Michael Myers. They have every bit of the ability to go just fucking nuts whenever they want to. And all it takes is one push to go over. And I think that the way that it's examined, especially in like the first screen being so meta on the horror genre and like, that whole speech that they have about everybody's a suspect that Jamie Kennedy gives in like the video store, and it's mm-hmm. just the like, oh right, no one is safe. There's no safe option here because everyone could have just snapped off and wanted to do whatever they wanted to murder. I think that's the interesting inspiration behind him is he's just so like, I'm just, I- it's just a guy in a mask with a knife. And that's more terrifying than anything else you can imagine.
0: I agree. I mean, this story has served as a love letter to the slasher genre, particularly, you know, we've mentioned Friday the 13th, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, while at the same time, it then inspired a brand new wave of horror films that came out afterward. What is it about this story that breathed new life into an otherwise dead movie trend?
1: I think what it was is it was a refreshing take on you never knew what was coming next. Like yes, they relied it relied on some jump scares and it relied on certain things, but it was the thing it mainly relied on is making characters that you wanted to root for and characters that you wanted to root against and you didn't know and it changed minute by minute. You didn't know if you liked certain characters in the movie and you didn't really want to see them die but you also were like oh, i kind of wouldn't mind like gail <laughs> weathers your fashion is incredible but girl you annoying like yeah i think it's an interesting workaround of horror movies had kind of fallen off completely and they took this like young hot cast and they were like we're really gonna fuck up what you think of these boys that are like <laughs> could be you know teen heartthrobs like now look at them covered in blood And I think it, some of the movies that came after it, like I Know What You Did Last Summer and Urban Legend and things like that, tried really hard to hit the same mark that Scream did and just kind of failed miserably. I mean, Urban Legend is, (laughs) Urban Legend's great. It's awful, but it's wonderful. But I think that- (laughs) I honestly haven't
0: heard anybody reference that movie in a hot goddamn minute.
1: (laughs) I, okay, Rob, well, we're going to- We'll revisit that another time because I know the <laughs> listeners don't need to hear my rant on how wonderful that film is, but that's <laughs> fine. Um I just think it. Scream put something in place that was like, killers can still be scary without being something that's so wild and over the top. You know, when Halloween came out originally, it was like, Michael Myers is really scary because he's a psychopath with a knife and you don't know anything about him. And that's what it was. In the first act of Scream, you don't know anything about him until you start to develop the history of Ghostface. And you're like, oh, this is actually terrifying that any one of these girls' high school friends who was there and helped her through the murder of her mother could now be coming after her. And she has no idea why. I
0: mean, I remember the first time watching this movie and thinking that Jamie Kennedy's character had to have been the one doing it. Especially oh, with, you know, with his encyclopedic knowledge of horror movie tropes and how it's supposed to work. Especially that, that moment that he's... Because they're watching Halloween on the television at the party. I think that's what they're watching. But he's in there and he's rattling off number one, number there two, number three. There are rules. There are rules. And you're sitting there going, yeah, yeah, there are. But my dude, why are you talking about this now? Like this... It's like I people think... have died.
1: <laughs> well, and that's what's so funny too about like that, especially Jamie Kennedy's character. When he rattles off his everybody's a suspect speech and Stu and Billy come up to him and they're like hey you get this feeling of like maybe he's tired of being bullied like maybe he's tired of being the odd man out I mean he's and he was like no I'm you're right I'd be the first suspect and he says it and you're like fuck was I wrong this whole time and it's actually him it's just the I think the biggest like put the pieces together and the fact that you only have 15 minutes you literally have the last 15 minutes of the movie that they're like we're going to now spell everything out for you but it doesn't whereas other times when horror movies do that you're like god damn it I just wanted more of what was going on as yeah. soon as they start to talk about it you're like oh everything's been laid out in front of me this whole time and I just didn't see the motive happening until he's like holding the voice box which is still the that moment is one of the creepiest things in the world oh, yeah. when he just like looks at her and says it it's like oh, so gross <laughs>
0: final thoughts. What does Ghostface mean to you personally?
1: I think to me, it just means the horror I grew up in. It's the resurgence of horror that I kind of came along with. And I was really young when Scream came out. But I, like, these were the movies I grew up with. I didn't get a chance to grow up with some of the classic 80s horror until I was an adult. But I remember being terrified of Scream. And I remember having nightmares about Ghostface. And that brought me into loving horror movies today and loving villains today is getting to see, like getting to feel real fear from something and then seeing how it developed as I came along with it. Ghostface just means to me that there is always a chance that horror will see that resurgence again. Um, Even when it's underappreciated, there are fans and communities out there who will let these characters and these villains live on and will constantly find new ways to like, bring up thoughts of a movie that's i think over 25 years old now that brings up this thought of like oh god yeah that's i didn't even realize that the first 20 times i've watched it and i just think that that's an incredible thing to do and i think as a horror movie villain ghostface is that maniac that will give you nightmares forever because he's just as real as he'll ever be
0: i'm so happy you came on the show
1: (laughs) (laughs) so happy you brought me on the show
0: (laughs) yeah finally finally we made we were able to make this happen casey thank you Uh, i'm gonna leave a link for the collaborative campaign for the arts in the description below what can you tell us about this
1: so the campaign it helps a lot of different organizations in central florida Specifically, arts organizations and non for profits. The one that I support the most is the Enzian Theater in Maitland, Florida. They're an incredible theater. They show actual, like, real to reel movies. And my favorite thing that they do is the cult classics that they do on Tuesday nights, where it's 35 millimeters shown on a projector and it's all sorts of classic movies. I've seen Frankenhooker played there. I've seen tons of classic horror played still on film reels. And it's an incredible small theater that's keeping that medium alive. And with the pandemic, they've had to shut down and reopen and shut down and reopen. And they're struggling to survive. And I just don't want to see such a th- iconic theater and gem have to shut down. And they're taking donations and their donations will be matched. So anything helps at
0: this point. That's amazing. I mean, and it's, it's just one more way to keep the arts alive in this world where exactly. we so terribly need it. Thanks again. Casey, this was truly wonderful.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you to Ross Lampert for composing the theme song to this podcast. He's a brilliant dude. And if you're in the market for any music production needs, head on over to his website at daggerandink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving out a little bit of time for us today. If you like the show, please consider following us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast and on Twitter at Villainology Pod. Give us a review if you like what we're doing and drop us a comment on who you'd like to see discussed next. And hopefully, we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals.